0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Because uh, I, I, I want to pray for this because I know on Monday is going to be 9-11, right? And I know um, we haven't seen too much about it. Because here's what happens, 9-11 comes, horrible, tragic day, and then on 9-11, you will see your social media, news feed, whatever, will be flooded with remembrances and all that stuff. Which it should be, because it was a tragic event. But the people that are still impacted by it, the families that lost their loved ones, uh, the um, uh, uh, first responders who are still dealing with the physical, emotional trauma of it, Uh, they're gonna carry this with them for the rest of their lives. So when we post on 11, hey, remember 9-11, right? And that's the day we post on it. They spend every day of their lives never forgetting it because of everything that they had to deal with. So God, we lift up not just the families who lost loved ones, Uh, we definitely pray for them and lift them up to you and pray that uh, your spirit would give them the peace they need to get through this again this season. But we also lift up all of the first responders, the ones who survived, the ones who still have emotional and physical uh, uh, trauma because of it. And we even lift up the ones who may not have been there, but all of the first responders who go out on a regular daily basis. And just because of the job they do, they will never forget this day. We pray that your spirit would be with them. We pray that you would strengthen them and their families. But we also pray that we as a nation would support and encourage them more than just one day a year, but every day that they go out to risk their lives to keep our community safe. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, as you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated. Uh, This morning, we're starting a brand new series where we're walking through uh, a series of books in the Bible that are called the Prison Epistles. These are four letters that the Apostle Paul wrote um, as he was imprisoned, and they are in essence a passionate plea from the Apostle Paul to the body of Christ and to the church Uh, Really quick, so the first one, the one we're gonna start with this morning is the book of Ephesians, and in Ephesians, Paul even says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, then he goes on, the next one is the book of Philippians. And again, in each of them, he talks about being in prison. Uh, In chapter one, verse 13, he says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Uh, the next one is the book of Colossians, also written while he was in prison. These were written about four, within a four, four to six month time frame. And in Colossians he says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And then the last one is a book he wrote uh, to an individual uh, rather than to a congregation, an individual named Philemon. And he says, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, don't worry about those verses, we'll get to them when we get to them, Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to walk through, over the next couple of weeks, the book of Ephesians, and then uh, later on down the road we'll come to each of those other books, so we'll be coming back to this series from time to time. Now, here's the thing, though, if you have not been around for any length of time, those of you who have know that whenever we start a book of the Bible, we don't get through more than a couple of verses, because I want you to have the context to understand why it's relevant to you, why it's pertinent to your life. And uh, let me share this, no matter which book of the Bible you're reading, any book, uh, these are things you should look for so that you know, hey, this this is why this is important to me. First, look for who is the book written to, because like we said, the book that's written to Philemon, it's a very unique circumstance. It's there for us to know, but it's not like, hey, I want you guys to go and do this exact same thing, everything that's written in this letter. But it's more of us to see the information in it, because there are some things that we can apply, but also look for the overall theme of the book. Like as you're reading through uh, certain books of the Bible, certain things keep popping up. If you read through like the letters, first, second, and third John, the word love used over and over and over again. So it's not hard to figure out that throughout those letters, John is telling people to love one another. He says it over and over. And then this we've talked about time and time again to look for whether or not the book has a description of things that happened, or if it's a prescription, hey, here are things that I should apply to my life and if I do it's gonna make my life better or if it's uh, instruction like a prescription yeah if I apply it to my life it's gonna make my life better but if I don't I'm not disobeying God I just won't receive the benefits of it but an instruction is God's command go do this right go make this happen so when you look through like the book of Genesis It's really uh, a a, a description of things that happen. There are certain things in it which we can prescribe to our life. There are certain things in it that are instructions that we should do. But it's really just a description of here's all these things that happen. When you get to the New Testament, right? The gospels, they're really descriptions of what happened in Jesus' life. Obviously, there are things in there that are prescriptions that'll make our life better. And definitely, there's instructions because you know there's the Great Commission go out and make disciples, right? Go out and share the gospel. But generally, most of the New Testament letters are instructions, they're written uh, by Peter, by John, by Paul, Uh, they're written to people in the church to say, hey, do this, live this way, act this way, or don't do this. There's a lot of prescription, but also a lot of instruction. And when we get to the book that we're gonna look at, Ephesians, It's genuinely filled with a lot of prescription, but a whole lot of instruction. There's a lot of stuff in there that like, wow, that's really really good information. Don't know if I should apply that to my life. And it's okay if you don't, but it definitely will make your life better if you do. But there's also a lot of stuff that you need to apply this to your life if you want to live life as a Christian. You wanna learn how to live out your Christian faith. You wanna learn how to live out your Christian walk. Now, once we understand that, we have a better understanding of why this book is relevant to our life. So you can turn to Ephesians chapter one, uh, but I'm gonna put first two verses on the screen because that's pretty much all we're gonna get through this morning. Uh, So in Ephesians chapter one, here's what it says. Verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ so first and foremost this is written to Christians now it says to God's holy people in Ephesus but it was genuinely or generally understood that most of the letters Paul wrote were intended to be sent to other churches Because in some of his letters, he says, hey, make sure you read this letter from this church and make sure you send this letter to this other church so that all the people can benefit. But here's the thing. This is specifically written to Christians, and he's going to tell them a lot of spiritual stuff about how they can live their life. Now, here's the thing. It's written to Christians because he's going to dig into a lot of theological stuff. Because right? a lot of people do that in the Bible, and he talks that way. I think one of, I forget which one, it's either Peter or John. I think it's Peter that says even Paul talks with big, you know, lots of theological words in his letters. But we're going to break it down Sesame Street style. Anyone watch Sesame Street, remember? Is this still on? It's not still on, right? Okay, I don't know if it is, but uh, yeah, Jax is like, yeah, I still watch it. Cool, but Sesame Street style, well, we're going to keep it simple because the whole theme of Ephesians is talking about salvation. And he's gonna use a lot of big theological words to explain it. We're gonna break it down Sesame Street style. Keep it really simple so that people understand it. Then he's gonna talk about, again, another big word, sanctification. Salvation is what happens when we commit our lives to Christ and step across the line of faith. Sanctification is a big theological word which is basically the ongoing process as we walk through life of becoming more and more like Christ. So instead of responding to things with Floyd's anger, Floyd's rage, Floyd's crass mouth, now because of the Holy Spirit, every now and then it will be like, you know what, Floyd, maybe that's not the best way to respond, he'll respond in this more God-honoring way. And it's a process, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, but then he's also gonna talk about, hey, yeah, you maybe have experienced salvation and you're on this journey of being sanctified, being made more like Christ, but you still have to put up with people who are not. People in our homes, or our workplaces, or our schools, or wherever, our communities, that are not on that journey, but here's how you can interact with them in a God-honoring way, and this is crucial. And here's the thing, this process is something Paul had to learn himself, so it's not like we're learning it from someone who never went through it, because Paul was not a Christian. Uh, Paul had to learn this, he wasn't like a Christ follower raised up to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? So this is where we give you a lot of background so you can understand the spiritual and passionate message that Paul is gonna communicate to the church in Ephesus through this letter. So uh, in the book of Acts, Paul shares his testimony after he's arrested for sharing the gospel. And this is what he says. He says, I am, not I was, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but bought up in this city. The city is Jerusalem where he was arrested. He said, I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Now that name, Gamaliel, means absolutely nothing to anyone because we don't, we don't know who that was. But how many people have ever heard of um, Charles Stanley? Yeah, how many people have ever heard of Billy Graham? Yeah. These are for what we would consider kind of huge icons in the Christian faith. That's who Gamelia was to the Old Testament faith. And so Paul spent time as a disciple of him, not just going a couple of times a week to learn from him. He practically almost lived with him so we could learn what, not just what the word of God says, but he wanted to learn here. When you read through this book, here's the things we talked about. Here's how you apply it to the life. When you read through this book, here's how you apply it to the life. When you look at this aspect of the law, here's how you apply it to your life. So that's what he spent time doing. And he says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. But he says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. Arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished So part of his testimony again, he wouldn't know he's a Christian He says I used to persecute the followers this way and it was called the way of the Lord by the people who followed it because they were trying to act and live in a way that would honor the lord so he said i used to persecute them to the death that was part of his testimony i used to kill christians i used to have them put in prison and he says the high priest in the council they know this is true because he said i used i even went to them to get letters to say hey you know what all these christians in jefferson hills we don't just want to put them in prison So can you give me a letter so I can go to the the, the religious people in Elizabeth, the religious people in West Elizabeth, the religious people in West Mifflin, the religious people in in, um, McKeesport, and we can bring them all here and put them all in jail. That was his intent because that's how he understood the word of God, even though it wasn't correct. Because it was blasphemy to talk bad about defame and demean Uh, the God of the Bible, which is why he then says that as he was on his way, and I'm just fast forward through that part, as he was on his way to Damascus to go jail some Christian folks, Jesus showed up and Jesus says, hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, he says, I persecuted the followers of the way to the death. Jesus said, hey, when you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me and then jesus tells him hey i'm going to use you to reach others and the light that happened was so blinding and paul had people with him they didn't see jesus but they heard the voice they freaked out they ran away he gets blinded and then he goes to the house of a man uh and a man named ananias came to see him he was a devout observer of the law Highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he says, Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. So Jesus shows up takes the man who is persecuting and killing Christians, reveals the truth of who he is to him, and then sends someone to tell him, hey, guess what? Uh, The same, because he said, I used to, you know, the law of our ancestors, I used to study that. I grew up learning that. It was my job to preach and teach and know this. We know he got it wrong. But now the God of our ancestors chose him to know God's will, to see the righteous one, that's Jesus Christ, and to be a witness of what he had seen and heard. And at one point, he later tells them, hey, you're not just gonna witness the people in your home and in your schools and in your communities to the butchers and bakers and candlestick makers. I'm gonna send you to talk to kings and governors and princes and military leaders, and you are going to spread the gospel around the world. This is, this is what Paul experienced, and here's, here's the reality. Because once he experienced that, he went back, studied the word through the light of Jesus Christ, and realized it was true, and then went on a multi-year preaching and teaching spree where he planted church after church, and we're not even sure how many he planted. The Bible gives specific names to a lot, but theologians believe he planted a lot more that he didn't write about. So he planted dozens and dozens of churches because here's the reality, once you are set free and experience the truth of God's word, like we talked about weeks ago in our other series, the truth of God's word, it's hard to turn back to falsehood even though there are some people that do. And so Jesus realized, hey, the best person to go out and preach the truth is someone who was brought out of falsehood and now understands the truth. The same is true when you're dealing with addictions. The best people to help other people realize the harmfulness of addictions and bring them out of addictions are people who are stepped out of addictions. The best people to help people understand the, 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 the horrors of human trafficking are people that have come out of human trafficking. Everyone else is like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that's a, important thing, but the people who have come out of it and who have seen the literally thousands of children and women and boys and men that are kidnapped and taken into it, they're the ones sounding alarm. And the best people to kind of talk about the physical, emotional, and mental trauma associated with having an abortion, it's not the church and it's not the politicians. It's the women who have had abortions and had to deal with the physical, mental, and emotional trauma. They're the ones sounding an alarm, going to other women and saying, hey, I beg you not to do this. How can we help you find other alternatives? And in the same way, the best person, the best person to send out to share the truth of God's word are the people who have experienced, wow, this is really true. And that's why when you find out, I mean, granted, preachers preaching and all that stuff, but the most energized, like, I can't wait to tell someone about this, people that go share the gospel are those who have been recently exposed to the gospel and realized this truth, and just recently stepped across the line of faith. And they're experiencing the love and the goodness and the grace of God in there. They don't care what people in their jobs say. They don't care what people in their schools say. They're like, how can I not tell someone about this? because they just experienced it themselves. And that's what Paul does. Now Paul, I said, like I said, once Paul was set free, he just went on this, uh, what the Bible calls multiple missionary journeys. I call it a preaching and teaching spree. And on his third missionary journey, it was around 54 AD, he started the church in Ephesus. There were believers there. They were scattered around. He gathered them together, started sharing the word of God with them, equipping them. And then about six, seven years later, he wrote this letter to them. So I'm going to jump back into uh, the book of Acts again. And it says in verse 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There, he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. This was one of the reasons why he went around gathering people into congregations, because there were a few people over here that experienced this, a few people over here that heard that, a few people over here that were taught this, and he's like, hey, why don't we bring you guys all together, you're in the same city, same community, so you can all hear the same truth of God's Word because some people were hearing, yeah, about the Holy Spirit, other people will not. And Paul knew that the Holy Spirit and having it or having the Holy Spirit as a source and a foundation in your life would help you live out what God has called, but it would also combat a lot of the false teaching. Um, Then Paul entered a synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. The synagogues were Jewish meeting halls where they would talk about the Old Testament. So Paul went into the synagogues and he would say, yeah, Old Testament is true, but it points to Jesus. And Jesus is going to come and fulfill the kingdom of God. He did this for three months. Three months he spent arguing persuasively. Now, he did not argue about all the things that the church bickers and argues about today. He didn't spend time arguing about whether you can be baptized with water or whether you have to be fully dunked. He didn't spend time arguing about whether women had to wear pants or dresses. He didn't spend time arguing about, you know, whether a pastor had to wear a shirt or a tie because the word tie does not appear in the Bible in that context. He spent time arguing about what was important, which is the kingdom of God, right? But then this happened. Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way, so Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It was typical in that day for people to rent a lecture hall and share their philosophical views. Paul went into that and shared about the gospel. Now, here's the thing. When people didn't want to hear what he had to say he didn't spend time like well. Let me argue and debate and fight and and call each other names. He he pulled out what do you call a shark tank, and he said, "Hey, you're being stubborn. That's what obstinate means. You refuse to agree to the truth. So for those reasons, I'm out." And he took his Bible, his bat and ball, and those who want to believe, and he left. And he went to this lecture hall. And here's the thing: this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the Word of God for two years, he sat there and would go in this hall on a regular basis and he would equip the people to know the Word of God. And it's important because this is one of the things that um, we try to focus on here, not just... uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to bash anyone and, and we don't do any now, but not just doing like events and, 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 and fun things and all that stuff, but we try to focus on equipping people to know the word of God because this is our mission to share the love of Christ. Whether we do it on Sunday morning, whether we do it via Bible study during the week, whether we do it do, uh, via a podcast, whether we do it via Zoom, that's what we want to do. We want to tell people about God. We wanna equip people to know the word of God so that they can go out and they can share the love of Christ, but none of that means anything if we're not showing the love of Christ. It doesn't make sense if we bring people in here and say God loves you and reveal the truth of God's word, but then when someone new walks into the building, we beat them up and yell at them and boot them out because they don't think like us, dress like us, or vote like us, and I mean this with every fiber of my being, you guys excel at showing the love of Christ to people when they walk into this building. But not many Christians excel at showing the love of Christ to people when they walk out. And I'm not saying you guys don't, but I mean, you, you see the news, you look online, you see the hateful posts that, that people make, the same people that you see driving into church buildings every Sunday morning because that's what they do. But here's the thing, he focused on preaching And teaching the word of God for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It doesn't mean that they stepped across the line of faith. It doesn't mean that they showed up to the Sunday celebration, but they heard the word of God. And they didn't hear it because they necessarily showed up at the fellowship hall. They heard it because the people who were being equipped in that hall went out and shared it with people in their circles of influence because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out and we're supposed to share the gospel with folks in our circle of influence. Now, uh, it says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And I might be dating myself here, but I was really young. so. I mean, I'm old, but not that old, but you guys remember on TV when they used to sell handkerchiefs and oils and all that kind of stuff, and they were like, if you buy this, they didn't all have a Southern accent, but if you buy this, you'll be blessed, and God will heal you and touch you, and da, 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 and all that stuff. This is kind of where that comes from, and it's not, this, this is one of the things that people read, and they were like, oh, this is an instruction. I'm supposed to go take a, take a napkin pray over it and then I'll sell it and people will buy it. And that's not the case. This is a description of something that God did through Paul. And one of the problems that we have is that people will go up, and I'm not gonna get into the argument of whether or not apostles exist today, but biblically, the only way you could be termed an apostle is if one, you saw the resurrected Jesus, which all of the apostles did, which Paul did, if you, could perform miracles, which all of the apostles did, which Paul did, and if you were called or sent by God for a specific purpose, just like he did to Paul, because the word apostle literally means special messenger. And I'm not trying to refute anyone that shows up anywhere today and says, I'm an apostle, but when they do, I am gonna ask them these questions. Have you seen the resurrected Jesus? Because if not, I'm gonna pull a shark tank and say, for those reasons, I'm out. I'm not gonna you know, listen to your claim to be an apostle. All right, but here's the thing, six or seven years after uh, going to Ephesus, Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he includes so many, and we're gonna get into this over the next couple of weeks, supernatural and spiritual things, uh, because here's the thing, as physical and spiritual beings, we're going to face physical and spiritual battles. So they, and when we read this, you're going to see, uh, he communicates a lot of spiritual stuff to them, and then he changes topics because they're asking him questions about this stuff, or some of them have already asked him questions, and he's responding to their questions, and a lot of it has to do with spiritual issues. And yes, we're, we're, we're physical beings, right? We're human, so that means we're, we're going to get sick. That means we're going to need... You know, jobs to buy food because hopefully we all like to eat and we need to to survive. Uh, that means we're gonna we're gonna have relationships that don't work out because for whatever reason we're human and we're we're not gonna be perfect, and we're gonna have those human battles. But because we're spiritual beings filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we're also going to have spiritual battles. And so this is what Paul writes to them. Um, He says, in conclusion, and we'll get to this in a couple of weeks, be strong in the Lord. This is the amplified version. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. The strength that, 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 like when we were praying for people and praying that they're strong, whatever, we're not praying that they suddenly go out and eat some spinach and get muscles. We're praying that through their unity with Jesus Christ, they're able to pull on his strength and stand firm against whatever they're dealing with. And that's a spiritual thing that God enables us to do, but he also says, put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy armed soldier, which God supplies, that you may be be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. And a lot of people refute this and saying, well, there's no such thing as spiritual warfare. Yes, there is. We're spiritual beings. There is spiritual warfare. This is one of those things where if you don't do this, you're not sinning, disobeying God, But you are leaving yourself defenseless to the attacks of the enemy. And it says specifically the strategies that he uses. And in another book of the Bible, um, James, the brother of Jesus Christ, says that, hey, the enemy isn't going to try to tempt me the same way he tries to tempt you or tempt you. Because we're different. So he learns, hey, here's what's gonna work to provoke Karen versus here's what's gonna work to provoke Bailey versus here's what's gonna work to provoke Floyd. Totally different things. And what he uses to tempt Floyd may have no effect on Kevin because Kevin's like, what what is that? Kevin's not gonna be tempted to spend like $100 on a custom t-shirt. This did not cost $100, okay. But not gonna be tempted at all. Bonnie's not sitting there like, I hope he doesn't buy another T-shirt. Not gonna happen. But at the same time, he'll tempt someone else uh, with something else. I'm not gonna be tempted to put a needle in my arm to get high, because I'm afraid of needles. I mean, I have to like, look directly in a nurse's eye when she's taking blood. Ah, don't look away, look at me. Look at me when she's drawing blood, because I'm just afraid of needles. Don't like them once they're in, and I see it, it doesn't hurt, it's a ping. Afraid of needles. Someone else might be tempted to put a needle in their arm to get high There are different things that he's going to use to tempt us and just like what is that phrase? Don't bring a knife to a gun battle because that's not going to make sense. You're not going to win Don't bring a gun to a spiritual battle because it's a spiritual battle that gun is useless so we need to be prepared and aware that there are spiritual battles and spiritual forces. So he goes on and says, the reason we need to arm ourselves and be armored up is because we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents. We're not just dealing with the stress and the anxiety of all the physical things that happen in our world and the cancers and the sickness and the lantern flies. But we're also dealing with, he says, against we're fighting against the despotisms, the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly spirit. We're not just fighting these physical things. There is a spiritual battle going on, and he says you need to be prepared. So I know we're running late, but... um, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm also going to ask the, uh, uh, um, Gary and Kevin, can you guys come up and grab the communion elements? Because one of the ways that we prepare for these spiritual battles is to do these spiritual things. When, um, from one uh, uh, mindset, when we partake of communion, it's just bread and juice, and there's nothing spiritual that happens. But on the other mindset, it's one of the most intimate spiritual things that we can do. So the Apostle Paul who also wrote the book of Ephesians, wrote to the church in Corinth, and he said this. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm gonna pull this off real quick. Ooh, there went all the paper towels. And I am gonna grab the paper towels here and try to break this bread. It's like those guys who used to rip phone books in half. All right, Uh, but he says, when you do this, this is my body, um, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then he says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And what he was talking about was the act of communion, uh, um, which started from toss this aside, uh, started from uh, when they used to, uh, not Palm Sunday, I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, Drawing a blank, but uh, what they used to do is they used to have a meal and they would, uh, as a part of the meal, there would be one part of the meal where they were talking about the Exodus and how uh, they would put the blood on the doors and how God uh, came down and saved them from certain death because of that. But Jesus took it and said, now when you partake of it, These elements in the meal won't look back to that. You'll do these in remembrance of me. And he said, for whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is a spiritual reminder and a physical reminder that God's body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, and that he's coming back for us. So I'm gonna ask you guys to stand as I pray. Um, God, we're so grateful that we get to partake of your elements, and we are so grateful that we have this spiritual reminder of what you have done for us. And I pray this morning for every person that is willing or feels led that comes forward to partake of communion, that they do so just as your word proclaims, proclaiming your death, but also acknowledging that you are coming back for us. And Lord, if there's anyone here who maybe uh, instead of partaking, they feel like they need to stay in their seats and spend time with God, we pray that that's okay too. But we pray that we acknowledge all that you have done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as you feel led, please come forward and partake of communion.